You're listening to the Running in Production podcast, where developers and engineers talk about their tech stacks, lessons learned, and general tips from running web apps in production. Here's Nick and today's guest. Welcome to Running in Production. Today, I'm with Andy Ide, who is using Django and Python to build a service that lets you record everything about your horses. Andy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Nick. Yeah, very happy to have you on. So do you want to kick things off by introducing yourself and letting people know a little bit more about your service? Yes, certainly. Yeah, Um, I'm Andy. I'm uh, based in uh, South Australia. Um, And uh, I've been a software engineer for a long time, uh, since 1999, uh, specializing in web applications. Uh, Horse Records started as a love story. And um, I'm a city boy and I fell in love with my wife, who's a horse girl. And uh, we got married and uh, started a a farm. Um, which in Australia we call a stud. So she breeds horses during the day and I work as a software engineer as well. And she wanted me to build up a um, a record of her horses, like an online record of things like uh, when the farrier, who's the, the person who does the horse's hooves, when the farrier comes, the vet comes, uh, the performance results, like when you take the horse to a show or a, uh, a camp draft, which is like chasing cows around with a horse. She wanted to record all that information. So I knocked that up for our um, our stud and then after using it for a few years she said well maybe you should use provide this tool to other horse people. And uh, yeah, Horse Records was born on that day and I've been coding it ever since. Wow, that's an awesome story. Yeah. <laughs> no, but really it's cool too because it sounds like You've made basically like a project management app, except the horse is the project kind of. Exactly. Yes, I love that we're combining my love, which is software engineering, and my wife's love, which is horses. And it's a, a fairly uncommon mix um, that horse people are really highly into tech. There are tech guys out there, and I have met them through this product. But yeah, just having that... that um, synergy is is really working well for us yeah i have to say this is probably going to be the first episode where we're talking about like a horse sass (laughs) (laughs) but as for developing this eventually you know it started as uh an empty folder at some point right do you want to walk us through like how long it took you to build an mvp and like what type of features that you shipped on it yes certainly yes so my first commit was in january 1999 i'll take that back my first commit was in January 2019. I had been thinking about the idea for a few months before and I'd done a little bit of a, an attempt in Angular, uh, but that was about the time when Angular went from Angular 1 to Angular 4 and there was no backwards compatibility and I didn't want to get burnt by that so I forgot about Angular. And then I looked at CodeIgniter and I was speaking to my programming mentor about this and he said, you know, Andy, this is... This is a chance for you to learn something new. Um, it's its its own project. You can do what you like. Why don't you learn something new? So I um, picked up Django and started coding in, in Django and learning Django as I went. Luckily, at the same time at work, I had an opportunity to build in Django as well. So I was sort of doing Django at work and Django at home. And um, look, the MVP, it's kind of difficult to say when I got there, but I would say probably the middle 
of last year, maybe September 2020, is when I'm like, yeah, okay, I reckon I could launch this. And I showed it to some horse friends who are my crack alpha testing team, or cats as I call them. And they're four or five horse people I know who are dear friends who are not who know their own mind and aren't backwards coming forwards with feedback. And they said, no, no, you've got to add this and this and this and this. <laughs> so while I thought I had an MVP in September, uh, it turns out I had an MVP two weeks before I launched in, um, <laughs> in uh, May, uh, launched the 1st of May. Or, or close enough to. So, yeah, I understand the whole MVP, you know, get it out, iterate it fast, take feedback, roll from there. But I've found that the demographic of horse people is they kind of wanted to have the, comp- you know, a, a nearly complete product. So the whole MVP thing I don't think would have worked in this case. So, yeah, they, they've got an almost complete product. Okay, I'm always iterating and always improving it. But, you know, you could serve it, serve it up and meet someone's eyes and say, yeah, this is, this is complete. It's got everything. Uh, yeah, so that, that's where we're at, Nick, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it sounds like those horse folks, basically when you ask them, you you know, hey, I'm building this app. Do you have any feature requests? They were just like, step into my office. Like they've had a list made up for like the last 25 years, ready yep. to go. That's exactly it. And, oh, I want to do this. And what about this? And here's this edge case. And here's this edge case. And this happened 15 years ago. And I need to be able to handle that. Has it happened since? No, no, but I need to be able to handle it. So (laughs) this is all, you know, it's all taken in hugely good humor because I figure that if I'm making one person happy by coding something they want, then there'll be other people who'll be happy with that, with what I've coded. Um, so, and yeah, that's how I approach it. Yeah. So when it comes to people using the service right now, how many people do you have? Uh, we've got about 60 ish. So we've been launched for a month or so. Uh, we've got 60 people, which is a really is more than I ever expected. I was happy with 10 in the first week and I got 10 on the first day. I have a vet in Texas who joined on the first day which is like blew my mind because I've only really marketed to Australia. My thinking is I get it working in Australia. And while anyone from any country could join, I'll get it working in Australia and perhaps New Zealand. And that's where my marketing focus is at the moment. And then once I've got it working, then I would expand to other countries. So we've got people in New Zealand who's joined. Um, a lot of Aussies, a lot of Aussies not in my state, which I was surprised by, because the um, the stud we run is one of the oldest in South Australia. It's fifty years old. It was one. Sorry to interrupt, but uh, what is a stud exactly? Uh, a stud is uh, you would call it in America a ranch or a farm. Uh, in England, they might call it a stable. It's basically a group of horses that you own. Um, other terms used in uh, far north Queensland in Australia are mob, um, so a mob of horses or a herd, but yeah, um, stud farm ranch. Yeah, <laughs> so our stud is one of the oldest in South Australia for our horse, which is the Australian stock horse, which is equivalent to the quarter horse 
in America. Not so much that it was bred to do races, but it's bred as a working horse. So, and because we've got one of the oldest studs, there's a lot of a lot of people know us. Um, so I expected that only really South Australian people will join, but it turned out that a lot of people uh, all over Australia joined and been following my um, my Facebook post, which was like a bit of a developer log. So yeah, we've got people in America, Australia, New Zealand, no one in Europe yet that I know, but uh, let's hope they hear this podcast and join up straight away. Yeah, definitely for sure. Now, speaking of workhorses, uh, maybe we can rewind and talk a little bit about the Django process so far. So, you know, you mentioned you were kind of just learning it while working at your job at the same time. Uh, what was that process like? Um, I think it was, there was an initial learning hump, which is common of any framework. But after a few months, I've, it, it seemed to come more naturally. I took great joy in watching Corey Schaefer's videos on YouTube. And the Django Chat podcast came at exactly the right time. Like almost every episode was something I was working on at the same time. And I just found that what I was working on at work was different enough from Horse Records that it, it sort of rounded my knowledge. And after about a year, I felt quite confident. And now at two years, I also I feel, you know, like a quite an intermediate level developer. I even have an own blog, my own blog that I've set up where I talk about Django concepts and, and stuff I've found around the Django ecosystem. So if anyone's trying to learn Django, honestly stick at it. Um, do the YouTube videos, listen to the first uh, season particularly of Django Chat, do the Django tutorial, Django Girls is very good too, and then just get into the community, go to a Django con. Um, and just start to learn as much as you can. You don't have to be perfect. No one knows everything about the uh, the framework, which is sort of in my dark times uh, comforts me that no one knows everything, even the experts. So uh, yeah, it was it was a it was a journey, um, but one I'm glad I've taken. Nice. And yeah, when it comes to you know being a quote unquote ec- or quote unquote expert, yeah, it's like I find that. And then there's, by all means, I'm no way saying I'm an expert, but like the more you learn, I feel like at least for me, it's like the more I, I know that things I don't know of, like it gets even like these deep rabbit holes I didn't even know existed, exist. And then like eventually you're like, how the heck does anything work? Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. Yeah, I, um, I'm, I'm moving more from how to do it as to why did they do it this way? And then you look at the code, you go, oh, that's actually a nice technique. Uh, I might follow that up um but i think nick you're, you you're a bit of an expert on docker i believe so is there anything about docker you don't know uh tons for sure like <laughs> i very very rarely do i look at docker source code and there's some like low-level file storage stuff that i haven't gotten into oh really okay i thought you knew it all mate <laughs> just enough to be dangerous yeah yeah that's how i feel with django i can knock something up pretty fast but uh, yeah it's yeah now, on that topic of just, you know, knocking things up pretty quickly, Django or just getting stuff done, do you use any specific features from Django, like the admin or like Django channels or anything like that? Yeah, I there's a, a few plugins that I do use. Django admin I use extensively because it's just there and with you. So yeah, I use Django admin. There's a few plugins 
I uh, use. I'll just go to my settings file, Nick, while I'm with you. Sounds good. So I use Django AllAuth for authentication. I'll just pick out the highlights of the third-party apps, mate. Um, there's a Django Sitemaps plugin, which I found. I was really amazed. That actually comes with Django itself. Uh, use the Select To drop-down. So that's for auto-completing drop-downs. So you might type in the name, the partial name of a horse, and then it'll list all the horses that that match that that partial name using some Ajax trickery. Uh, so that's I use that extensively throughout the site because there's a lot of times when you're searching for a horse to add to your pedigree. So the pedigree of a horse is the horse's mum and dad and grandparents and great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents. And that, that's called your lines. So the lines of the horse, uh, which is like your ancestry, that horse people put a lot of value in that and they're very interested in the pedigrees. So knowing the performance record of your horse's dad, the sire, or the grandsire, uh, is very valuable to horse people. So yeah, you, you, you end up searching a lot of lists of horses and picking the one that's appropriate. Uh, I use the Django REST framework for some reporting. I use ImageKit for the uh, a lot of people upload images of their horses, and then I create, you know, a profile pic and various sized images on the fly for them and cache those nicely. Uh, there's a uh, some emailing a templated email plugin. Uh, I use a Honeypot admin Honeypot for security, so that people can't because in Django the um, to log into the back end, you, you go to the admin URL. Now, the first thing you should do is change that and make that some sort of change that admin URL to be something else so it just can't be found by someone just polling your site. One of the best tools I use, and Nick, I, I hate the name, it's called Django Hijack. And what that does is allow you to log in as a user. And, and I hate that name, it should be something like alias login or or customer help or something like that. Impersonate. Yeah, names are important. Uh, they really are. Um, and hijack seems aggressive, but it's certainly not. Um, I'll often log in as a user to see exactly what they're seeing. And I've found a number of little bugs to do with permissions mainly uh, that I've been able to fix up because I can see exactly what the user's seeing. And the most recent one I've found is a product called Django Unicorn, which I totally love. Um, that is a plugin that means you generally don't have to write JavaScript ever again. <laughs> so it's similar to Laravel Livewire. So all the data is kept on server side and it provides uh, the JavaScript for you for your Ajax going back and forth. Django Unicorn is a product I like so much I've actually sponsored, been at a GitHub sponsor on it. Really great plug-in, I strongly suggest everyone check it out. It will save you so much time and give you so much in your user experience. So for folks who might not have heard of uh, Laravel's Livewire or have used uh, Unicorn with Django, do you want to maybe give some examples of where you're using that in, in your site? Uh, yeah, so on my site there's a fold date calculator, a folding date calculator, which is really useful. When your mare is served, i.e. has sex with the stallion, you want to know when the foal is due. And the reason for that is you need to make sure that often 
a, a mare who's about to foal will be put in a, a foaling paddock, which is like a particularly safe paddock that's probably close to the house so that you can keep an eye on it. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if the mare has any troubles with birthing, you can, you can, you've got half a chance of actually coming out and helping. If folks go to the site, just click on tools, they'll see a foaling date calculator. You can put in a date and it works out the foaling date approximately, but it doesn't refresh the page. Now you go, oh yeah, that's just some Ajax doing it, but I didn't write any Ajax or any JavaScript. All I did was write the server side part of the code and then for the template, which is the what the view is in all the MVCs, I just said, oh yeah, load this unicorn component and Django Unicorn does all the JavaScript for you, all the Ajax back and forth, all the security, um, and it just means that you can focus just on the logic of the code rather than having to code it once for the back end and then twice for the front end where you've got to either send the data or receive the data. Um, you don't have to do any of that JavaScript, which saves you so much time but gives you a better result. Okay, so I haven't used that firsthand. I guess what, from your perspective on the front end in your templates, you're just like sprinkling a little bit of like HTML attributes, like unicorn attributes onto elements that you want to have real time? Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, so unicorn comes as a component. So you have the you have the server side coding part and you've got the view, t the template part. And then you just load the component into your main template. Um, and, and yeah, that's exactly right. You just sprinkle your HTML with the stuff that unicorn wants like you say you want to do something when a button is clicked you'll go unicorn colon click equals function name and then when you when that button is clicked that function on your back end is called and you don't have to write any javascript to either send that data of that function or receive the data and populate your template it's it's totally awesome it's really good yeah I'm totally on board with things like that because it's not that I hate JavaScript, but I love the idea of just writing my backend once, being able to use regular HTML templates or whatever templating language you want to use for whatever framework you use, and just uh, sprinkle in that stuff to get some real-time uh, little partial page updates or whatever without having yeah. to write a ton of JS. Yeah, I mean, a lot of what we do with Ajax stuff is so simple. It's like, send this data to the server, get it back, and put it in another field. How many times have we coded that kind of stuff? It's a solved problem, and uh, Django Unicorn just uh, provides that for you. Right. So going back to your app, by the way, uh, do you have it set up to be just one single monolithic app and then broken up into Django apps, or do you have it broken up into like full-blown services? Uh, it's all just, it's it's the Django model of uh, yeah, effectively a monolith with lots of apps in the, in the Django. I use an app to be roughly a table in the database. So apps I've got are obviously an app called Horses, which handles horses. Another app called Events, which handles events. So that's like when the vet visits or your horse gets its teeth done. Or by the way, you have to do a horse's teeth because um, they don't eat. If, they, if their teeth don't get tended to, they tend not to be able to eat as well. So they lose weight. And that's a bad thing. Mm. Um, Another app I've got is a files app for the photos and files that people upload. Um, I've got an app for the horse groups, which is like the farms, ranches, studs, and that handles the fact that horses belong to, to these horse groups, these studs, these farms. 
I've got another app for people, which is if you have a horse farm, it's not only you doing it. You've you've got you know your wife or your family or you've got staff or you've even just got helpers who come and help. And the people app handles that management of the connection between people. Uh, I've got a few administration type apps like the the payment plans that people are on. I've got an app for the public facing website. There's an app for the tutorial that's inside the horse records. And there's an app for performance. So performance is, you know, did they win a race? Did they win the dressage? Uh, did they, you know, win the cross country? That sort of thing. So yeah, that's that's sort of the apps that I've got in there. There's not actually a lot really um, for what we can achieve with it. So yeah, I'm quite happy with the factorization I've achieved there. Yeah, it's interesting. Like the breakdown of those apps that you said, it sounds like it's very well thought out. And I love the idea that Django just helps you break your apps out like that, like from the get-go, if you want to. Yeah, as soon as you... Um, the, the thing that clicked for me was it's roughly an app per database table. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, well, that makes sense. So yeah, I would have a table called horses. And okay, there's a few other little tables you have around, which are like, you know horses relationships to groups but you would have but that's sort of in the in the groups section um yeah once i got that in my head that it's roughly the major tables in your database as a django app that seemed to work really well when it came to that though at the very beginning when you just started coding this up did you go down that same route or is that something you just discovered after a little bit of coding i think i i i found it out fairly early in my journey when I started to learn Django, I just watched videos on YouTube. Corey Schaefer was the guy at the time. And all I did was just watch however many hours of videos he had, seven to ten hours. I didn't write anything. I didn't record anything. I just watched to get a, a global overview of Django. And I think somewhere in there he talks about it's roughly one table per, per app. It, the emphasis is on roughly, <laughs> you know, each major concept in your application has an, a Django app to it, uh, which is roughly each major concept has its own table in the database. Uh, yeah, so yeah, I found it pretty early on, Nick. I, I must admit, I can't remember exactly, but it was certainly pretty early on. Okay. And also earlier, you mentioned that you are using Django REST framework and you also mentioned using Select 2. For the Django REST framework, you know, you mentioned you're just using that for like the reporting part of your app. Do you want to like break that down for us a little bit? Yeah, certainly. So um, I have a bit of a love of management information reporting. One of my first jobs ever was doing it for a call center. So I love graphs and information. I hate building charts. They're fiddly. You're in JavaScript. Even the nice libraries like Chart.js, that takes a long time. And I found a tool called Retool, so R-E-T-O-O-L. They're their own website. And effectively what you do is you provide API endpoints, which I do via Django REST framework of the data you want. And then you say to Retool, hey, can you tap these endpoints for me? Obviously you, you have an authentication. So can you tap these endpoints for me and, and give me the data and then you go, oh, I want that data in a chart. And Retool will just build the chart for you straight there. You, you get it done in about two seconds. Um, and then it also can give you a table of that same data. And you can download that table to CSV. And It's just so quick to implement. What I've ended up with is this one page of all the various metrics that I'm following, such as 
number of users, number of events added, number of horses added. And I've got charts and, and all sorts of information. I can see the ebb and flow of how how the product is being used in, in real time. So sometimes offloading that sort of work to a third-party tool saves you so much time and it's worth the 10 bucks a month you, you pay because I would have saved hours in creating a, a back-end sort of management information section. I would have saved so many hours just using Retool and yeah, it's worth it. It's, I think they're 10 bucks a month is their base plan. And they're great and their help is great. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of interesting how that stuff works. It's like 10 bucks a month, sure. But if it takes you like 10 hours to build that admin and it's like super annoying, you're coming out way ahead with the 10 bucks a month on that service. Yeah, that's how I th- that's exactly how I think about it, Nick. I go like, I know what my hourly rate is. And I think, well, how many hours is this going to save me? And you're like, well, that's going to, you know, I'll, I'm happy to pay for three years <laughs> in savings. Um, and, you know, everyone kind of wins. Um, yeah, look, if I was uh, at my early career where money was pretty tight, I, I would have just coded it myself. But these days, if I could use a tool like that to save so much time, I will. Right. So this retool tool, is it just like a third-party uh, service that you contact? Like you just use like the request library or something to make an HTTP call to them and they give you the data back? Like how does that work? Yeah, that's exactly right. So I've actually put a post on my um, Django Andy blog on how to use Retool. But effectively, you you create the API endpoint in your Django and then you say to Retool, here's my API, here's the authentication I'm using and here's the endpoint I want you to tap. And then it says, okay, here's a JavaScript object back. And then all you have to do is say, oh, I want that object put into a chart, thanks. And these are the columns I care about. And it has really sensible defaults. And you say, these are the columns I care about. Show these. And it just goes, here you go, bang. What I like about it is the defaults are very good. It, and it does a lot of, like it, for example, it recognized I had a date, even though I was passing the date as a string. Just went, well, that's a date. Okay, well, we'll make this a date at the bottom of the chart. And I was just like wow, blown away with how much time they saved. Yeah, little things like that, like just little polish here and there, yes. it makes a big difference. Exactly right, yep. So before I brought up Select 2, and it's been a while since I used that specific library, but is is that dependent on jQuery as well or no? Uh, yeah, it is. Um, so... Select2 is like a lovely drop-down box that allows you to auto-populate. There's a app I failed to mention earlier, Django Autocomplete Lite. So Django Autocomplete Lite and Django Autocomplete Lite Select2, they come as a package. And that auto-completion is, is sort of all comes as one bundle. And the way that works is you say, okay, when someone types something in this search box, in your Django form, you say go and tap this uh, method in my view class with this data and um, and then that method will provide, say, a list of horses that suit the query that's been passed. And then Django Autocomplete Lite takes that list of horses and puts it in the, the drop-down box in the way you want. It's really, really good. Right? Yeah, that sounds like a really good case for you know, Django's batteries included, like not so much like it's included with Django specifically, but uh, there's so many good opinions with Django that other third-party libraries like this can just easily 
offer end users that type of functionality, right? Like if it didn't have strong opinions, then you couldn't have nice things baked in like that. Yeah, I think that's one reason why I went with Django rather than Flask. I looked at Flask, which is another Python framework, as all the listeners know. I looked at Flask first, and that's a very much, hey, you add what you want, um, and you can build anything. And for me, I was like, well, I don't know what I want. I don't know what choices to make here with respect to which package is better than another package. And Django, because it is that batteries included, it makes it has made some sensible decisions for you. And you go, oh, okay, well, that's they must be half good. Django's been around forever. So, you know, and no one's really complaining. Not to take anything away from Flask, but it was more a case of Django suited me better at the time for what I was looking for. It's kind of like jigsaw pieces. No, jigsaw pieces is inherently bad, but some jigsaw pieces fit better in the puzzle over here than over there. And for me, Django was, was the, fit me better at the time. Right. Now, putting together like the whole picture here when it comes to the Django app, you know, you mentioned you're using Unicorn as well as jQuery here or there. So is this mostly like a server rendered app with just sprinkles of jQuery and Unicorn as needed? Yeah. So I only discovered Unicorn about a month or so ago. And I'll be done some research with that folding calculator, and I'll be adding more and more of it. But yes, that's exactly right, Nick. I've gone the server-rendered server, um, rendered route for my for the website in total, and your JavaScript is just a little bit of sugar on top, just to give some um, we call it goo factor, so the users go gooey at it. But just to give mm-hmm. some feedback and a better user experience, yeah. Do you have a couple of examples of where you added a little bit of goo here or there? Uh, yes, there's one that uh, sorts the columns of tables. So there's a JavaScript library called uh, uh, Sortable, which allows you just to sort columns in tables. Uh, there's lots of JavaScript in the pedigree tool. While I'm using Select2 to get the list of horses, there's a whole bunch of JavaScript. So when you... If you select your horse's sire, the stallion, the, the dad, if you've already entered in the the stallion's stallion, the dad's dad, and his dad, you want it to automatically appear in the pedigree. So I've got some JavaScript that says, hey, does this horse I've just entered, do they have a mum and dad? And then I um, you know, do that Ajax call. And, uh, and populate the pedigree that way. So what it means is that a new foal comes along, you say, oh, this new foal has this stallion and this mare, and then the whole pedigree is done because you've already added your stallion and your mare from, from before. Now, these days, I would use Unicorn for that because the JavaScript took forever because I have to take the pedigree and send it to the server and get the result back, and then all the JavaScript to unpack that and put it in the right spot. Um, yeah, so, yeah, when I coded it, Unicorn wasn't around, but I'd use it now. Right. So I have a question for you about that then, because, you know, as a developer, it's so easy to be like, okay, there's this awesome new tech. I want to do everything with that. Like, it's very hard to not go off and just spend like, you know, 25 million hours changing all of that previous JavaScript to the Unicorn setup, knowing that like there's a hundred other features that people want and you should be developing instead. Like, how do you find a balance between that? Yeah, that's uh, that's the constant struggle, isn't it? For me, the the way I sort of balance it is, I always think, um, you know, what what's my priority at the moment? 
is is my priority getting a new feature for guys like are there customers who are asking specifically for a particular feature or not just the majority of customers but there might be customers with more influence than others so for example if a paying customer asked for something that would be higher on the priority queue than a free customer asking for something i mean obviously if a customer who is a vet for example asks for something related to veterinary thing that authority comes with that request so usually i try to add something new each each weekend when i work on horse records even if it's a little thing and then i usually try and fix a bug and yeah, so i try and do that now there are pages i'd love to go back and make unicorn or more ajaxy but i i wait until i have to add a field to that page and if i've got to add a field then i'll just go and redo the whole page so that what i don't want is i go hey i've redone this page the customers go to it and they go well there's no difference to them i don't, I don't want that i want them to always see something new you know in, in my opinion that's what you pay your your amount per month for is the constant development of these SaaS apps and you know every everything i develop i put on my facebook page which is uh, the horse records facebook page which is how i talk to my customers I just say hey i've added this or i've changed this now this is much better now so that you know there's no one who can say oh what's horse records done for me lately because you can go yeah, here's here's the facebook page that has all the updates oh and there's a change log in the actual site itself you can see a list of all the changes uh, i think that's important so that people are kept enthusiastic about the product yeah i think that's a great point and you know as someone who is a technical person i love when other services have their own change logs because it's always fun to go through that because sometimes it's like christmas morning you wake up and you see a big change log and there's like 10 cool new things to look at yeah and you're like i mean even with games you see the change log, you go oh that's nice i mean even if i don't use it it's like the opera it's good to know they're there you know i'm not ever going to go to the opera but it's nice to know it's there and it's the same with a lot of the the changes you know at least you can see something's happening which is great yeah Yep. So you mentioned payments a couple times there. Do you want to go over what that setup is like? Are you using Stripe or PayPal or something else? Yeah, I did think about do I use PayPal or Stripe and I went with Stripe. I actually have a bit of a history in the payment space. At one point I was even selling my own gateway and I wrote some plugins for online payments. So I like to think I know a little bit about it. I went with Stripe because well their API is fantastic it really is it's just it's as good as you're going to get the second thing is stripe doesn't keep me at one bank so if i get into an argument with my bank i can swap banks and i don't have to change my payment gateway so i was never going to go for a payment gateway of a of a bank because then i'm trapped into what they do and what they want and their rates where with stripe i can flip banks um and also the other plus for stripe is the documentation is absolutely you know it's if anyone asks me what should documentation be like it should be like stripes um for example when you visit the docs if you're logged in it automatically puts your public and private keys in there so you can actually just copy and paste the code um straight into your your application there is a so when i went to code it there is a, a a django plugin called i think it's called dj stripe and i looked at it and 
I considered it strongly, but the docs weren't where I wanted them. So I actually just used Stripe's Python library. So I've just got raw Stripe in there doing my thing. I use their, their, what do they call it? Their customer portal. That's it. So what that means is when anyone wants to purchase, they, they fill out the form, they hit submit, and it will redirect them to the Stripe site for the payment and the credit card details. And then when they're done, it comes back to Horse Records. Now, I recognize that's a little bit of a risk in that they're going away and not coming back, but it's a lot better than it was 20 years ago when I was first doing this kind of stuff. The JavaScript stuff for Stripe, I just needed a bit more uh, than the JavaScript pop-up um, for that. So yeah, I use their customer portal, which is great. So the way that works is you say the customer goes, okay, visit portal, and you go, right, Stripe, I want to I want to visit you with this customer's details. And they go, no worries, here's your, your once-off... Um, key and you redirect them to that that URL and that key lasts for some period of time and then they can they go to the console they haven't had to log in it's got all their details they can do what they need upgrade their plan downgrade their plan whatever um, and then they hit back to horse records and they go straight back and the great thing about that is I am going on a bit Nick so jump in if you need but I'm almost done <laughs> I see that you must be like a freelance side dev for uh, Stripe here, giving them the best <laughs> promo ever. <laughs> the great things about the console is I actually never even see the customer enter in their credit card details. I never even see it, let alone tokenize it or having to tokenize it or anything like that. Their credit card details do not hit my site, which means PCI compliance is, is a dream boat. I don't have to worry about it. And because I'm using Stripe's customer portal, they keep it updated with their API and everything that changes in the API. I don't have to keep track of that. The disadvantage, of course, is it would be very difficult to go somewhere else um, or implement another payment method. But I think down the track, when I get to the scale where I hire another programmer, that, that can be their job to, to basically bring the console in-house and take it from there. But for now, the customer portal's great. Customers haven't said anything bad about it. Admittedly, they haven't said anything good about it, but in these sorts of things, no news is good news. It's a seamless experience for them. Um, they haven't even thought to provide feedback on it, which to me says it's, it's working. So yeah, I'm pretty happy with the Stripe offering. Yeah, I'd say that's a great way to go about it, right? It's like offload all of that stuff to Stripe now, and then if it gets huge later, then you know maybe bring in a custom solution just to give you more flexibility. Yeah, I'll have the money there, and it can fund itself, and you know we can start offering other payment methods like maybe pay, PayPal, which I you don't sound too enthusiastic. I've, had, <laughs> I've been burnt big time about fifteen years ago. A client of mine lost thirty grand from PayPal. Um, oh. Yeah, and I've had another client who lost, uh, I think it was 20 grand, where they just close the account and say, see you in six months. And uh, yeah, it, it hasn't been a, a positive experience with PayPal throughout the years, so I just stay away from them as, as much as I can. Even though I've, I've had one, my marketing consultant says, if I don't see PayPal, I won't buy. And I'm like, I'm glad you don't have a horse. <laughs> 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 but yeah, no, no one seems to worry about what the payment method is. Um, 
in, in my customer base. I've had no negative feedback about it at all. So yeah, very happy with Stripe at this point. Yeah. And also feel like for most SaaS apps that bill, you know, either monthly or annually, I feel like the credit card is pretty much the standard there. Yeah. Like maybe for a one-off payment for whatever, you might use PayPal, but for a SaaS or whatever, yeah, credit card seems to be pretty standard. Yeah. And I've, I do have a backup payment method. If someone says, look, I'm, you know, I'm on an old school. So in, in the horse world, there's a lot of, there can be a lot of old school folks who've been doing horses for 50 years, you know. And if they want to come on board, they don't have a credit card. I do have a backup to be able to take direct debits through an Australian direct debit company, but it's only for Aussies and New Zealanders. So yeah, if someone came to me and said, look, I want to buy your top plan, but I only want to pay via direct debit, yeah, I've got a backup for that. Um, and if Stripe does go down, I do have another, uh, I do have this easy pay there, able to take credit card transactions internationally. So I do have that backup, but yeah, I'd be running frantically for a number of days to get that backup. So, <laughs> but yeah, I do have a backup if Stripe falls over, but uh, at this point, there's, there doesn't seem to be any problems with Stripe at all. Right. Yeah, when you were saying you had like a fallback plan for just Australians, I was thinking like, you know, just bartering, like I'll give you like 12 kangaroos and four <laughs> spiders. Yeah, <laughs> one drop there, you can have what you want, mate. <laughs> if you manage to catch it, you can have it. <laughs> yeah. So going back to your tech stack here, by the way, maybe we can just switch gears a bit and talk more about uh, other services you might be using, like Postgres and Redis, like Docker, Nginx, all that stuff. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, it's I use Linode for hosting. I'm on the $10 plan, which is the one from the bottom, one above the bottom. It's, you know, one core, two gigs of RAM, 50 gigs of storage. You know, it's it's pretty light, um, but I'm looking at a month's worth of stats right now, and I have, generally I don't go above 2% CPU with peaks at like four and a bit, which is probably when I'm doing an update. Um, so at the moment, that plan I've got is working really nicely. My... Uh, plan for growth is, you know, the next plan up is goes from ten dollars to twenty, and it's double the the stats of the VPS. I pay another forty bucks, I get double again. I pay, you know, another eighty dollars, I get double again, and it goes up to, um, you know, something like six hundred dollars a month, doubling each time. So I've got plenty of room for growth there, just sticking with Linode. Um, and really, the server load is not that high on, on what Horse Records is. As members go up, it'll go up. And look, if and then when I get to the point where I'm, I've grown beyond Linode, I'm sure Linode will be knocking on the door wanting to help me with some custom thing, or I can look at the AWS thing. On the VPS, I'm running uh, Nginx, and now I don't know how to say it, Nick. I prefer to say G-Unicorn. That's how I say it. Yeah, some people say gunner core, but I don't like using the word gun. <laughs> uh, yeah, so G-Unicorn. Um, I use Postgres as the database. And for queuing, I use good old trusty Cron. Mm. Cron jobs um, calling management commands within Python, within Django. And I don't have too many Cron jobs, Nick, so queuing with Redis or anything like that is not is not a huge job. I just got a couple of crons that do some backups for me, um, and uh, I've got one that I'm developing at the moment, which will send out some automated emails. Like if someone hasn't logged in for a long time, I'll send them an email and say, "Hey, we're still here. Are you are you having troubles? Are you all right?" Yes. So that's the sort of the um, the setup. 
on the DNS side, I use Cloudflare. And hold on, hold on, hold on. We have much, much, many good things to talk about about what you said before. I, no, I think it was great. Your the way that you want to move forward with Linode, right? Where it's like you have this one ten dollar a month server, then it's like twenty bucks, then forty bucks, and then it continues going up. Yes. Like, yeah. I don't know, like it's not my place to like tell people how to do their stuff, but I think that's an amazing way to go about it because yeah, you just have everything on one server and it's like you vertically scale when you need to. And like that can go such a such a long ways. Yeah, and it, it certainly can. And I think that if I'm at the stage where I need their six hundred dollar a month plan, I would be pumping it with members. You know, there would be so much cash flowing in that hiring, you know, AWS engineers would not be out of the question. So I, I did think quite deeply about scaling right initially and I just saw what, what Linode had and just thought, you know, I can just upgrade how I want. And yeah, it's a web application. It's not, it's, it's the vote, the traffic is not huge um, in, you know, in web scales. Um, yeah, so just this little VPS just pumping away. Um, yeah. Oh, and the other reason I chose Linode is they've got an Australian hosting. Uh, I looked at DigitalOcean and they didn't have Australian hosting at the time. And because most of my clients were going to be in Australia, I wanted to host out of Sydney. Um, just because so, uh, if I host in America, the ping time's like 120, 140 milliseconds. And I just wanted to save that by hosting in Sydney. That makes sense. And yeah, that makes a big difference. Uh, you know, 140, 50 milliseconds is a lot. Yeah, just in snappiness. Yeah, just it's just a touch snappier. I don't know if users notice it, but I certainly do. I'm sure you would too, Nick. <laughs> oh yeah. So when it comes to the servers or the one server that you have, uh, which distro of Linux did you choose? Uh, I went Ubuntu, and I think I just picked the most recent one. Uh, I'm not a I'm not a DevOps guy, Nick. I actually hired someone on Upwork to help me with the initial setup. I followed a tutorial to put my Django app on Linode and uh, I couldn't get it working and I actually hired someone on Upwork to do it to help me out and uh, he's been a, a total legend um, so yeah uh, yeah so yeah just to answer your question yeah, just the latest version of Ubuntu whatever it is 2021 or something like that yeah that's cool to see that you were able to find someone to do all of the dirty work for you because yeah there that is a deep rabbit hole to go down if you want to start setting things up from scratch yeah look I can do back end I can do front end when I first started DevOps, it was literally upload your PHP scripts via FTP. <laughs> that, that was DevOps. <laughs> and then it was like rename the PHP file to like blog2.php and then you test it in production and then rename it back. It didn't need any of this newfangled Git stuff. You just changed the name of the file to the date. <laughs> yes, we've all been there. It was good times. Yeah. So that legend that you found to set the server up, I mean, you don't need to get into like the rates that he charged and all this other stuff, but like, uh, do you recall like how long it took him to get things up and running? Uh, yes. Look, I think he did really well by me because I think it was, it ended up being a bit more complicated than he thought. I think I, I paid him 200 bucks. He certainly worked on it for three or four hours, if, if not more. And uh, every now and then when I have it, something to do with the server that I'm not confident with, even though, you know, I run Linux locally and, you know, have Ubuntu at home, running it for a web server, I just don't want to make a mistake. Um, yeah, so I will. Um, I always contact him first with anything I need. Uh, he helped me with another, I think Wheezy Print was having problems printing PDFs at 
didn't really like what was installed and he helped me with that. So, you know, it worked like when it, I call him when it works locally, but it doesn't work in production. That's that's when I call him. Yeah, and it's good to know he's he's there. Yeah, he in the in my website I've got acknowledgements. Uh, his name's Andrew. Uh, he goes by the moniker of Sick Codes. Very accomplished guy. Highly recommend him too. Very lucky to find him. Nice. So you know you mentioned you are using G Unicorn. Do you have Nginx sitting in front of that? I'm pretty sure you said you did. Yeah, yeah. I've got Nginx. Um, I used to be a big Apache guy, but I found out that Nginx is sort of what all the cool kids are, are going with. And in the Django world, Django, Nginx, G-Unicorn setup is fairly routine. I just thought, oh, I'll just go with that. I didn't know any different, and I didn't know any arguments against it. So yeah, I just went that way, and I found it to be fast. You know, you do your, your system control, restart, Nginx, restart, G-Unicorn, and it does it within a second or two. So deployment's very fast. Um, yeah, that's really cool to see, right? It's like, even though you're just using one server, yeah, there's a tiny bit of downtime when you restart things to deploy a new version of it, but it's like one or two seconds or whatever, and that, that's it. And that's exactly it. right. Yep. You, so my deployment, I, I basically upload the files using Git, I have this, I strongly recommend, I don't care who you are, you write a, a, a to-do list of how to deploy because sometimes you're doing stuff when you're tired and you don't want to forget anything. And basically I get my files up to the server, run the migrations, run the collect static, which collects all your static files and puts them in a spot where the server can see them. So that's your JavaScript and your CSS stuff. And then you then you just do... Um, pseudo system control restart G unicorn you're good to go if if it's something really big like you've changed firewall rules or something I think you have to restart nginx as well but I just go nginx restart nginx restart G unicorn takes about two seconds and yeah you go and check that what you've done is live so yeah it's really fast it's you know it's great for me who gets a little bit anxious about these things and just wants to be all over it just being able to do it in a manual way, it fills me with a sense of relief rather than some sort of continuous integration. I know that CI is the best way to go, but for me, what I want and my personality is such that I just want to see it happening and I want to physically do it. So I think sometimes you've got to pick tools, not just because whatever is the new hotness, but it's what suits you and your style. Uh, you know, After all, you're the one coding it. You, you, you make the choices. Yeah, totally. I think that's definitely a great way to go about that one. So when it comes to managing secrets with your setup, where how do, how do those files get from your dev box onto the server? Oh, yeah, it's a manual upload. Yeah, um, I think initially I FTP'd them, and now I just fire up, uh, do, you, do you know the tool Midnight Commander? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fire that bad boy up, which takes me back to the X-Tree Pro days. Yeah, Midnight Commander. Wow, one of the best apps you can get. And then I'll edit it in that. If if not, I'll use um, Nano to just edit the file as needed. I'm not a Vim guy. That was before my time. Um, yeah, so I just do it that way. Look, if someone gets into your box, they're going to get to your M file. You've got bigger problems anyway um, than your secrets. Uh, yeah, so... I just do the best I can with those. Yeah, it's in a separate file, of course. You know, if they get into your box, they're looking for your secrets. So there's not a hell of a lot you can do. Yeah, if your box is rooted, then yeah, you're in trouble. Like just 
an env file sitting there is yeah like you say at least if you worries yeah it's yeah what's more of your worry is things like your stripe secrets and stuff like that which is the money and i have backups of everything i even have backups on linode and i actually locally back stuff up as well so you know i figure if i had a big hack i'd, I'd have downtime of about a day while i just restore from a backup and check everything and stuff like that um Hopefully that never happens. Hopefully I never have to deal with it, but I am aware that it is a risk. Um, well, here's to hoping that never happens. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so before you mentioned uh, you were just getting into Cloudflare, do you want to expand on how you're using that? Yes. So I've used Cloudflare for DNS for a number of sites that I've hosted. Um, back in my glory days, I actually used to run my own website design business. So I used to host for clients and I still have a few clients I host for. Uh, I've always used Cloudflare just for the DNS, but I looked at their paid offering for Horse Records. Uh, I think it's 20, 25 bucks a month in Aussie dollaroos. So in the US, that'll be, I don't know, 15-ish. Um, and Wait, is that the official like dollaroos? Or are you just joking? <laughs> Aussie dollars. Yeah, we say, I think dollaroos was from the Simpsons, I think. <laughs> um yeah, and wow, the speed increase was huge. I had a four-second render time without Cloudflare. And then when I went to the paid plan, I knocked it down to two, two and a half seconds. I was so happy with that. Um, and then I turned on Cloudflare caching, and it got down to one and a half seconds um, to render from a Control f 5 hard refresh. So I'm totally happy with that. At the moment, for other reasons, I just have the Cloudflare cache off because I've just got some conflicts with some JavaScripts I'm working on and just needing to see what happens. But my load time of the page is still sort of two-ish seconds. So it, it just comes up so fast and honestly, it's the best 25 bucks I spend each month. It just makes the site so... And with my marketing that's going out, you know, new users come to the site. They're not waiting for the site to to load it's just there ready to go so you're very very happy with what cloudflare has done so yeah totally so when i went to your site before honestly if you told me like i didn't know that it took two seconds to load like it felt like it loaded much faster than that even from the us oh wow yeah i think there's i, I must admit i'm not a page load expert it's two seconds for all the scripts but the the time to first render is is lower than that but yeah, I'm, I'm very happy. You know, they just CDN it all. and You know, the, the images are the big thing, right? You know, this whole, my JavaScript library is only 30K doesn't really work for me because you've downloaded a 500K image. <laughs> so mm -hmm. so I, I think Cloudflare puts the images of the site through worldwide CDNs. So wherever you are, you're getting, you're getting the images very fast. I think that's sort of one of their main tricks. The other thing, with Cloudflare that I was very, very happy about is on my site, people can upload pictures, right? And there's always that element that want to upload pictures that aren't appropriate, that are possibly illegal. Now, I don't have any customers like that, and I never will, but you still need to be aware of it. Cloudflare allows you to, Cloudflare automatically matches the hash of any photo that's uploaded. Because they're on the DNS, they see everything that's uploaded. They match the hash against known pornography images and like the illegal stuff. So as soon as there's a hash match, 
and someone's uploading something bad, they immediately tell you and the authorities. And to me, I've I've got sort of close friends who are in law enforcement, and just knowing that if anyone uploads anything stupid or illegal, they'll be it'll be they'll be done. It'll all be over for them. Um, so that was good. And that's just a flag. You flick on Cloudflare paid plans and just say, yeah, check this, thanks. So I was really happy about that. Uh, I don't know if you want to include that last section, Nick, but I was. it's a totally awesome feature. Yeah, totally. No, that's going to definitely make its way into the show. Now we just broke the uh, fourth wall. Right. Did we? <laughs> we did. That's like a movie thing where like the actors are now talking to the audience. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And this is all going to stay in. So, by the way, you know, earlier you mentioned that you are running native Linux on your dev box. Uh, when it comes to setting this up, do you just have things running locally, everything straight up, like using a virtual environment, or do you happen to use Docker or no? Yeah, I, I don't use Docker. It was when I started coding, I didn't really know much about it. I hadn't had much experience with it. I just use a virtual environment and then, um, you know, do the, the pip requirements file and, and run that. Yeah, so just a virtual environment. It's in the Django docs how to set one up. I use pipenv, pipenv for my virtual environment. I find that very easy to use. You don't have to name the environment and remember the name of it, which I always forget. And pipenv just handles all that for you. Yeah. Nice. And then before you go and deploy the code to the server, do you run like a test suite locally? Yes. Now, look, my test coverage isn't brilliant. At least you're honest. Yeah, I've got to. <laughs> Honestly, I don't think anyone's is. I have worked for a number of companies, national companies, state-based companies, and the test coverage is always lower than what it should be. Um, anyway, I've got some unit tests that basically when a bug comes in, I write a test for it, slowly building that up. And basically, my tests are more the integration tests in the fact that I will manually go through what I know I've edited and just make sure that all works. So I've got the automatic test, but I've also got my running my eye over it. That works for me because I'm one developer. I know everything about the code base. I know what talks to what. I know what to look for. And that works okay. And yeah, okay, some stuff has slipped through, but I'll fix that pretty quickly. If When we get to the stage where I'm hiring other developers, I will be dead keen to go with TDD, which we use at work, uh, which is test-driven development for those who don't know the acronym, uh, which is where you write your test first, it fails, then you write your code to make the test pass. It sounds beautiful, but it's it's not as easy as that. <laughs> but yeah, as time goes by, I'll add more tests. But for now, the testing is pretty much user testing, me test looking at what I've changed and making sure it's right, and a few unit tests that just test some gnarly things within the code. Yeah, that makes sense. And when it comes to pushing your code to the server, do you also push it up to somewhere like GitHub, just like as a backup or no? Yeah, I use Bitbucket. So Bitbucket is the is Atlassian's Git product. Uh, Atlassian is a, an Australian company, and I just thought I would, at the time, Bitbucket had free private repos. So I went with the Aussie company just to support the Aussies doing good things. Atlassian is the same company that does Jira. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I've I just use Bitbucket. I found them to be good at work. We use GitHub. Look, they're all much of a muchness. But yeah, I just push it up to Bitbucket, so I've got a uh, you know an offsite copy of of the code there. Right. 
Now, speaking of potentially offsite copies, you know, earlier you mentioned that you do back things up, like even locally to your own dev box. Do you want to go over the whole process of like how your database gets backed up and maybe some user uploaded files? Uh, yeah, there's a Django application called uh, uh, Django Backup. <laughs> <laughs> Would have known. <laughs> it's crazy. And you just you um, just call it with a cron script. So I just have a cron running each day. Backs up the database, saves it into a directory for me, and I'll periodically go in and download those backups. Um, I think as I get bigger, I'll automatically send that somewhere. And uh, yeah, it, it was really easy to have the database backed up. The other backups to do with images and stuff like that, that's using the Linode backup facility, which is $2.50 a month. You know, it's, it's nothing. And the one time you use it, you need it. And I have, I have used it once. <laughs> okay. I, well, this is a story we have to hear. Yeah. I pushed, um, I pushed a change to the, uh, okay, so for various reasons, the migrations I've got, the database migrations I've got locally are not the database migrations in production. The reason is when I was developing, I had to mess around with some migrations and if I ran them, those migrations in dev again, it all falls over. So you have to squash them and do some jiggery pokery to get it working. Um, and uh, yeah, I forgot to, I added a new application for some reason that I didn't add git ignore to the migrations. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I, <laughs> I released a production, ran, ran migrations, restarted it, and the whole thing came crashing down with 500 errors. Sentries melting down. I'm sure there was a small explosion in the sentry um, offices. <laughs> all these bugs came through of all these tables that didn't reckon it had. And I just went, oh my God, <laughs> what do I do here? I worked out quickly what I'd done and went, I don't really know how to undo that without losing all the data. So luckily I'd taken a snapshot before, a, data, a backup snapshot. So I quickly restored from the snapshot, sorted out my migrations and my git ignore fire file, and <laughs> got it back to running. And I was, you know, it only took an hour to be, you know, this whole episode, but it felt like 10 years, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have gray hair now. <laughs> yeah. But at least you know the process works now, restoring from the backup. Yes. And that's very important. Um, yeah, there's nothing worse than having something faithfully backed up for a year. You look at the files and they're zero bytes. That's a, that's a horrible feeling when that happens. Yeah. Absolutely. So you mentioned Sentry in that story. You're using them just to handle all of the error exceptions and things like that? Yeah, so I am, and it's great. Um, I did consider Rollbar, but I just went with Sentry, I think because they were sponsoring one of the Python podcasts. And I thought, oh, well, they're sponsoring one of the Python podcasts, so I'll just support that community. So, yeah, I set up Sentry, and if anything, it over-reports on stuff, but I'm, I'd rather it over-report than under-report. And there's nothing better than going to Sentry, finding no bugs, um, or going to work on your thing. You look at Sentry, you go, oh, I'll fix that bug, that bug, that bug. You know, all the bugs are listed there and you can just go and fix them. Um, and you try and keep it at inbox zero for Sentry. I know it's not possible on some applications, like some of the ones that work, We it's just not possible. But 
with this app, I've got it currently at zero, zero bugs, and anything that comes up is usually me doing crazy stuff. That's always good. Only weird things happen when you go crazy. That's right. You know, when I do weird things, like uh, usually with permissions, permissions are a bugbear. But right. So now, on the topic of like error reporting and just checking out logs and things like that, how do you check out logs specifically, or maybe you don't at all? I'm looking for a tool that helps me check my server logs in one place. I want the Nginx logs and I want the Gunicorn logs all in one website I can go to. I don't want to pay through the nose for it. Yeah, at the moment I do it manually if I even do it, Nick. But yeah, I'd love to find a tool that enables me to do that for the right price, which is free for my (laughs) things. (laughs) Yeah, it's a hard one because logging, it's like there's usually a lot of pros and cons or way offs because it's like, well, a company can't keep your logs forever, you know, like 10 years worth of logs. So a lot of them, it's like, well, you know, for free, but we're going to like destroy your logs after seven days or something like that, which might be okay, I guess, but it's like, I don't know. Yeah, there's trade-offs. Yeah, it'd be good to keep for a month. I mean, my logs aren't that much. You know, sort of, you know, one guy, (laughs) you know, yeah, one guy running a site. My logs aren't that big. I don't have thousands of hits every day. It'd be good just to have one spot. Plus, I'm not a DevOps guy, so I don't really know what I'm looking at. So if there's a little bit of logic about, a little bit of help about what logs mean and how important they are, maybe that's a SaaS product for some one of your listeners to write, Nick. Right. Well, my philosophy on logs is kind of like the Unix philosophy. It's like no news is good news type of thing. Like, I'm not going in there looking for things. It's more of like I'm reacting to things. Yes. Yeah, so... Oh, that's actually a good, that's a good philosophy to have. Yeah, I must admit I haven't had to, I think I've only had to go in once when I was having some Nginx problems. Nginx was getting requests from domain names that weren't horse records, a G-Unicorn sock thing and stuff like that. And um, I just had to go in and add a thing that says, look, if you get it from anything I don't authorize, if you get a request from a domain name I don't authorize, then just, I think, 443 it. But yeah, because I don't know anything about Nginx, it took me a while to get that working and put that in the right, right spot. But I got it. It took about three tries. But uh, yeah, that was about the only time I had to look at the Nginx logs. So yeah. Nice. And it sounds like you debugged that one maybe in production. I had to. Uh, if only I, there was something like Docker I knew that I could do that. But yeah, I had to debug that one in production. So yeah, you're working on the car while it's running. It's always fun. Yeah, there's been some funny stories in the podcast. I don't want to get too deep into them, but like someone was debugging like Nginx logs while on a road trip while his wife is driving the car, like on his laptop. Oh God, yeah. Wow, stressful. (laughs) So by the way, when it comes to things like metrics and and getting alerted if things go weird with your server, do you have anything hooked up with Linode where it's like, hey, by the way, the CPU load is now at like 80% instead of 2% and then you get emailed? Uh, I believe Linode has those sort of built in it certainly tells me any time the server's rebooted. I think there are large load notifications. I must check with them what they are. I've never had one, uh, so that's great. I've also got Sentry for any of the weirdish sort of 500-ish type errors. But I also use Uptime Robot to just ensure my site is up. I'm just on their free plan. I think they tap my site every minute or every five minutes or something. And if the site goes down and I don't know about it, I've got their app installed on my phone. I get a push notification and a, and a, an email. 
So usually, it's if it's going to go down, it's usually because I've changed something. But I did have a period of two hours downtime in the middle of the Aussie night, and I actually think that was Linode maintenance. But uh, yeah, that was fun times. You wake up at 5:30 a.m. and there's you know your site's been down for an hour and a half. You're like, what? No. Um, and uh, yeah, this was a work day, so I'm frantically trying to work out what's going on while getting ready for work. And uh, yeah, it just turned out as probably maintenance that I just wasn't aware of. So yeah, but it's good to get that notification. So that works. <laughs> so yeah, that's how I check that the site's running. Always good to know that your notifications work. Although at the same time, it's like you kind of don't want to know that because if you get notified, then you know it's down. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> it's, in this case, any news is bad news. <laughs> right. But for that downtime, for like the maintenance potentially, did it just come back up on its own then, like it self-resolved? Yes. Yeah, I got out. Of, I said, oh, I've got to have a shower and think about this. Came out of the shower and it was up again. And I'm just like, oh, that's great. Because I would have been, I was stressing because I'm like, uh, you know, when, when you're out of ideas. Um, yeah, I was, I was at that stage. Um, yeah, you've, you've tried nothing and you've got nothing and you're out of ideas. So, yeah. Right. Yeah, you know, you're out of ideas when you go like the Windows route, where it's just like, well, I guess we just reboot the box and see if yeah. that works. <laughs> just turn it off, turn it on again, it still doesn't work. No, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> so now on the opposite of bad news and things going wrong, uh, do you want to give us maybe some of your best tips and lessons learned from building this app? Yeah, uh, certainly. Install Sentry. I wrote a blog post, what I learned in the first two days of launching my SaaS app. And one of the biggest things I have from that is learn Sentry. Um, this is in no particular order, Nick. The other yeah. thing is be prepared when you launch. Like I launched on a weekend and I thought, okay, well, I'll launch and I'll be able to do some dev as well. You know, I'll just add this feature as we go. But no, the first weekend was fixing bugs that you and your testing team had missed. Now, my testing team are, are pretty awesome. But yeah, hey, we just missed stuff. And as soon as users started joining, we, we realized them. So I spent most of that first weekend just fixing bugs. And there was nothing, no showstoppers, Nick. They were just uh, permissions. You know, some person should be able to see something and they couldn't because I'd got the permission logic incorrect, that sort of stuff. The other thing is, um, yeah, have a good testing team. So my testing team were a range of technical skills. Uh, my wife knows horses very, very well, but she's also quite competent on computers as well. So she was great. And then I had other testers who knew horses that weren't good on computers. And I also suggest have a mother-in-law because my mother-in-law was amazing at testing. She went through the grammar and spelling of every page <laughs> and fixed it all up. <laughs> so if you can get a mother-in-law who used to be a teacher, do that. <laughs> She has been one of my best testers because she's retired now and just the amount of time she spends on something she's passionate about because, of course, she started the, the stud back 50-odd years ago. You know, have some passionate people as your, as your um, testers. And the other thing is it's good to have a brains trust. So people who know the space you're in. So I can say to my wife, does this type of horse activity, what are they looking for? Or, for example, there's a type of 
horse discipline called endurance, which is where they, you know, like the ultra marathon runners. Yeah, this is horses, marathons for horses. And they spend as much time running behind their horse as riding the horse. And when they go up a hill, they'll hold the horse's tail and the horse will help pull them up. Just crazy stuff like that. And Wow. That sounds like a recipe for like breaking your ribs. <laughs> These guys are fit. They are, yeah, they are amazing athletes. <laughs> and to have that synergy with the horse at the same time is just like, for example, you, you tend not to walk behind a horse. You, if you can get away from it, don't do it. And these guys are purposely holding the horse's tail. So the training of the animal to do that is fantastic. And they have different needs than, say, someone who does dressage. So dressage is like the beauty show you see at the Olympics where they walk the, they walk trot canter in circles and straight lines in a square arena. Their needs for what they're recording about the horse are different to someone who's effectively a marathon runner with their horse. Um, someone who's breeding horses wants to know things like follicle size because that tells you when the horse is about to ovulate so you know when to serve the horse when the horses have sex so that you can get your foal those needs are there so having a brain's trust in my wife and my mother-in-law who just are complete encyclopedias on horses is good so i guess what i'm saying know your problem space or know someone who you trust who does know it and the coding is just assumed <laughs> assumed you can do it yeah no, I think that is great advice for sure. And I think what you say is often underlooked because, yeah, if you're just like a solo developer working on the project, like you might know your domain pretty well, but like yeah. there's a difference between that and like really, really, really knowing it. Yeah, deeply understanding it, grokking it deeply. And it helps you not go down the wrong path in the forest. They, they direct you, you know, one sentence can direct you the right way, uh, which is really good, really good having just that brain's trust around you. Yeah, for sure. So Andy, thanks a lot for coming on the Running in Production podcast. It was always great having you on. My pleasure, Nick. It was great. Thank you. Bye. Yeah, anytime. So before we wrap this up, do you want to share any links to your site, Twitter, GitHub profile, anything like that? Yes, certainly. Um, well, Horse Records is horserecords.info. And I've got a Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash horserecords. Uh, my, my technical blog is djangoandy.com and if any of your listeners Nick have horses I've set up a discount code which is 20% discount for life they just need to use the code running20 when they join even if they join for free record the code because then if you upgrade um, you'll be able to keep that code keep that 20% off so any of your listeners who've got horses um, you know hopefully that code will just uh, help them want to come and try out the product Awesome. I don't know how many uh, horse listeners we have out there, but hopefully a couple. Hopefully a couple. <laughs> and hey, if they do join, hey, send us a message, guys, just via Facebook or the email. Happy to have a chat to you about dev stuff or whatever. Awesome. And I'll make sure to link all of that stuff in the show notes. And on that note, to everyone listening, thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you in the next one. You've been listening to the Running in Production podcast. You can find a full archive of the show at runninginproduction.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe using your favorite podcast player or leave a review if you like the show.